0: Okay, Um, I just want to to start off. As also, we've been in this little series, which is called "Who is Jesus? Who am I?" Um, And hopefully, over the course of the last five or six weeks, we've we've had this opportunity to get an increased view. Um, opinion of what Jesus is really really like and how that affects me and actually this is um, this is from a book that we've mentioned a few times now so this is a book called Romans a book for life it's written by Andrew Ollerton and we were very very aware that we couldn't cover huge Christian truths in five weeks and so we just want to point you towards a really good field to eat some grass from you know, that's one of the jobs of shepherds, is actually you say, hey, here's a great field, why don't you go and eat from that field for a little season, because it's going to do you a whole load of goods. So actually, by reading the book of Romans in your small groups, in your life groups, by reading books like these, to be a reminder of those truths, I'd even say, so I run a Bible reading group on a Wednesday night, and a bunch of us, we just read pretty much, we read 12 of the chapters of Romans together on Wednesday evening, just in one long swave going across, and stopped a couple of times to talk about it. And it does us so much good, because you start to see this way that Paul is building a picture of who Jesus is and who am I. So you might not be able to see these very, very clearly, but each of these here is like the little journey that has gone on through the book of Romans. If you've joined us... Hopefully you'll realise, actually, we started in the idea of there is a valley of sin. We find ourselves in a circumstance and situation where we're stuck. Can't find my way out of sin. But then I start this climb of salvation. So start to go up the crux of salvation. What does it really mean to put my faith and trust in Christ Jesus? Then I find this moment of rest in which I realise, oh, Christ is for me. He's not against me. Christ loves me. He welcomes me into community. And then all of a sudden I start to go up this little ridge of freedom. What therefore does it mean to be freed by the grace of God? Does that freedom mean I've got license to do whatever I want? Or does that freedom actually give me an opportunity to now worship God myself? You then find this summit of hope like in Romans 8. Then the truth is there. Then you get this cloud of mystery. What's the mystery of the gospel? What does it really mean for God's chosen people, Israel? Then as we start to come down, we come down this descent of devotion How do I then walk out my daily life devoted to God, not just changed by a truth, but now living differently because of what God has done to me? And then I return into community, and then I go on to an onward mission of God's. So that's how he frames this whole book. And you follow the journey, the climb that goes across, and hopefully we've given a little snapshot of what that's been like over the last few weeks. But why did Paul write the book of Romans in the very first place? He wrote it because he wanted to encourage a whole group of people to increase their confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was his massive goal and intention of it. And he's trying to write to the church in Rome because it's such an influential city at the time. He thinks, I need followers of Jesus, whether they were Jews or Gentiles, to have their confidence of God dialed up a little notch. Okay, so can we just show this little line that's here? Now, where would you place yourself on your own confidence in the gospel. Because, I, I, again, I think I fluctuate. There's moments in which I say, I am absolutely fully assured that the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died and rose again for my sins to set me free, to welcome me into eternal relationship with the living God, I am absolutely fully assured with. But then I'll get little moments where I think, I'm mostly confident, I'm pretty sure. No, 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 I'm fully assured. And then I go back and then I think, oh, actually, I've, I've been hit by another thing that's going on in life. And then I have these little ups and downs out there. And sometimes it might even drift all the way down to, I'm plagued by doubt. Is this really true? Is it just because mum and dad took me to church when I was younger? Is it just because I grew up in this country? Is it just because I, I, this, was the, this, this was the setting that I, I heard and got raised and got brought up in? Is that why I'm a Christian? And we can fluctuate because that isn't just, that's a, like a linear graph that's going on, but it's not just a place that we sit in forever. But what I find is that when I gather, and this is why I turn up to church every single Sunday, it's because I hope that every time when I worship alongside my brothers and sisters in Christ, every time I encounter God, every time that I read God's word, every time that I sit in a position where actually the gospel is preached and proclaimed to me, my confidence level dials up once again. <laughs> I might turn up on a Sunday at a three, but my prayer every single week is I walk out at a five. And then I walk out at five and I say, I'm fully assured of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know that this is a room full of people that are somewhere between one and five, or you might even be off the chart completely saying, this isn't even true. (laughs) You know, you literally, the belief and trust you've got is like pigs flying in the room. (laughs) I'm not even a zero on this chart, but good for you. Glad that you enjoy it. (laughs) That's okay. That's the setting in which we've come to But I I believe there's a moment in which faith and revelation of Jesus places us somewhere on this chart to that point when I say, no, I want to be fully assured in the good news of the gospel that those that put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus as their Lord and Saviour will be saved. That's what I long for. And actually, we do that with each other. We do that with one another. That's why it's so great to be in that little descent into community. It's why it's significant that we do life with each other. Because imagine if we had to try and do that on our own the whole time to stay fully assured in who Christ was. But we do it by spurring one another on, by holding each other in our weaknesses, in our moments of doubt or in our moments of uncertainty. Someone, one of our brothers and sisters stands alongside us and says, no, come on, let's be fully assured together in this thing. Let's believe in Christ once again. Let's pray, let's come back to worship. Let's listen to God's words. And it's the joy of doing it with young children as well. Because you start to raise children in this environment you say, now come on, we're going to doubt at times, but we're going to come back once again into the confidence and assurance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Romans is an amazing book for that. It's an amazing book over its chapters, over its, over its little arc that it takes you on to bring you back to a place again when you are absolutely confident in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, one more thing and then we're going to read God's word together. So this is one of these little um, nesting dolls that you've got, Russian nesting dolls. And so we're all aware of what these are? And hidden inside are smaller dolls that go across. Yeah? So when I become a Christian, my relationship with Jesus is massively significant and important. Because Jesus starts with the biggest problem, which is you and me. So he begins with peace with God's. There's so much of what is going on in the book of Romans and which goes on in the truth of the gospel is it's about actually how does Jesus deal with me as an individual? So who am I is really, really significant. It's really significant that I get a right understanding of who Jesus is and that he resolves and makes peace with me first and foremost. Before it's ever about the truth for anyone else, It's the truth that has to be reflected in me. I've got to say, God, what is the truth of the gospel in my heart? Who am I? Who are you? Do I put my faith and trust in Christ Jesus? And then this wonderful thing is that once I find peace with God, the story doesn't end with this tiny little nesting doll. Because then the most beautiful thing is, is actually we get placed into the next doll. So the truth of what Jesus has done in my life, then works its way out into, what does it mean to be part of a community with others? Because the good news of the gospel isn't just that Jesus saves people or an individual, but that Jesus says, I long for a holy people, my people. His plan is to bring humanity and reconcile it together with one another, to reconcile our differences, to reconcile the things that would divide us. Again, not to make it so that we're uniform and we all look the same, dress the same, behave the same, say the same stuff, live in the same place but so that there, would be, that there would be unity with one another. A love and a reconciliation that we find. But that can never begin. So the world tries to deal with this. The world's all looking for peace. It is desperate to try and reconcile communities. It's desperate to try and find ways to bring neighbours and enemies together. Last night it happened through the power of music. <laughs> because it's trying to reconcile the world. And it really hopes if we have a good old knees up and someone wears enough glitter on their eyes that the world is going to be reconciled because Abba is going to do it through the songs like Waterloo. The world is looking for peace and unity and it's desperate to deal with this nesting doll. But the Christian gospel says it starts with you and me. I must first be reconciled to God. If I'm not reconciled to God, how could I ever be part of the reconciled people with all of humanity? Can't do it. I start with the problem, me, I find peace with God, I'm reconciled to him, but then the joy is, this is not an individualistic gospel in which it's just me and my Jesus, it then says, no, no, I've made peace with you so that we can make peace with mankind, so all of humanity can come to find unity in the good news of the gospel. And then the most wonderful thing of all of it is, again, it doesn't just stop there. and just stop with humanity. Jesus is making all things new. He is reconciling everything in heaven and earth. All things under the lordship of Jesus. Everything. Everything visible and invisible. Everything seen and unseen. All things being reconciled. And I get to be part of that. It's not like I get lost. I am actually get to be included into the people of God's, and included into all of God's new creation, new humanity that he's longed for from the very, very beginning. And I get to find my place into a much bigger story. And again, that's a deep human longing. We want to be part of something. And God includes us as part of it, but he never starts here. He always starts with us. Starts with you. So I pull right to the church in Rome and says, come on, who are you? Who do you believe Jesus is? What's the faith and trust that you have in him? And then once, that is, once we've reconciled that, once we've found peace with that, I can build you into community, and then I am going to build you into a new heavens and a new earth, into all of creation being reconciled in and through myself. So we're going to look at what some of that community looks like because, as I'm sure you can imagine, the reconciled church... The gathering of all people together isn't always the easiest job in the world because we have to unite people that have all different preferences, have all different levels of confidence in the gospel, have all different levels of, of faith, of faith they have all different upbringings, they have all different favorite songs. I bet there's someone in this room, Grace, I'm gonna say it, someone who doesn't like that. I bet there is. If you're here, you're wrong, but it's okay. <laughs> you're loved. But that's the truth because you get into a community with people and you realise that actually unity is hard. Uniformity is easy. If you say we've all got to like the same thing and do the same stuff, it's not easy. It's actually hard to manage it. But you can force people into moulds. The gospel doesn't force us into a mould, but it does call us to unity. Because the unity in Christ as our heads in which we love and bear with one another. So we're going to read together. So let's read God's words. It's just trust that this is going to change us, it's going to speak to us, and we're going to read, I'm not actually going to do much in, no, I'm not going to do Romans 13 at all, I'm going to do Romans 14. Welcome, any, welcome anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat. And one who does not eat must not judge one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day, observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord's, since he gives thanks. Thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat. And he gives thanks to the Lord. For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord's. If we die, we die for the Lord's. Therefore, whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord's. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Pause. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is in unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one, it is unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat Someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It is a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God because blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. We'll come back to that later. That's a really significant phrase. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves risky place to put yourself as the judge but whoever stands or whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and everything that is not from faith is sin Uh, we're going to do the last 13 verses or the first 13 verses in chapter 15 now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weakness of those without strength and not to please ourselves each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to build him up for even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. That's what Jesus says. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and with one voice. Therefore, welcome one another just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. For I say that Christ became a a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the Father's and so that Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praise to your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says this, the root of Jesse will appear. The one who rises to rule the Gentiles, the Gentiles will hope in him. Now may the God of hope, Fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is God's word. That's amazing, amazing truths there. Again, imagine how long I could take ages unpacking everything. But I want us to see that the big thing that's going on here is Paul is writing to a group of believers. They've found faith and commonality in faith in Jesus, but they've arrived from different backgrounds. Some Jewish backgrounds, some Gentile backgrounds. And as a result, some of them are circumcised, some of them are not circumcised. Some of them will eat meat, some of them will not eat meat. Some of them will drink, some of them will not drink. Some of them have special holy days they observe, some of them don't have special holy days. And so they're trying to work out how do we live in unity with each other when we turn up with so much baggage? So much stuff that we believe is significant and important. And so Paul is trying to say, okay, before I get to how you do it, realise it is to God's God's glory when the Jew and the Gentile praise and worship God together. I love it when I end up with a reconciled group of people. It pleases me. It pleases me to find a group of people who come in praise and worship collectively under the name of Jesus together as their Lord and Saviour that pleases me because one day all of creation is going to be reconciled every knee will bow every tongue will confess all things in heaven and earth will be united under Christ Jesus as one Lord and Saviour and all will see and so that future is coming and so he loves it when we give little examples of it now he loves it when we worship in this place as a completely diverse and varied group of people with different beliefs or different backgrounds, um, different upbringings, different feelings, different convictions on certain things. This will be a room full of people of people that will eat meat and not eat meat. This will be a room full of people who will drink and not drink. This will be a room full of people who will hold certain days to be and important, but we find our unity and our collective identity as disciples of the living gods. And so therefore Paul's instructions say, see where we're aiming for which is the praise and worship of Jesus in unity with one another. So the way we're going to get there is we're going to bear with each other in faith. Okay? So this is the closest I can think. I know not everyone likes football analogies. But the closest I can think, I have a much stronger following of Crystal Palace Football Club because they're rubbish. And so because they're rubbish, my faith in them has been tested much greater than someone else. Because I've had to go to Wembley and watch Crystal Palace lose games and walk out crying as a kid because we lost the game of football. So it it put a stronger conviction of faith in me, no, I'm going to keep supporting Palace. I had a little wobble and my dad didn't help, but my uncle did. He kept me strong. Spin this out to one of my mate's kids. He has changed football teams three times. The reason he's changed three times is because he always supports the best team that are winning and the different teams winning every single different week. And so as a result, is, it was Arsenal until a few weeks ago, but I'm sure it will change at some point. And so he started with Liverpool when they were good and then drifts towards Chelsea and then ended up at Arsenal. And you think it's because actually he's, he is much weaker in faith. Now, I could... I could I could be with him and try and mock him for his weakness in faith in his football team. But actually, no, there's this little thing that actually, I've walked through something as my example that's given me a stronger faith in Christ Jesus. And I just want us in this room sometimes, and this is probably where it touches on a little nerve. I think there's probably times in this room where we think, man, why are you not stronger in your faith? Why are you at a one on that chart? Why are you not convinced in the gospel? And we'll wind each other up. And some of you have walked through things in life which meant that you are more fully assured in the gospel of Christ Jesus. Praise God, you might have read Romans a few more times than someone else in this room. Praise God, you might have grown up in an environment you might have been through circumstances and situations in life which have caused your faith and trust in Jesus to be stronger. But actually what we're called to do is to bear with one another in love and to build one another up in our conviction of who Christ is and what Christ has done, not turns to the other and say, why are you so weak in faith? Why are you struggling with this again? Why are you walking through that again? Why are you not resolving this? Why are you making that such a big deal? And actually, one of those, one of those biggest and most important things, and again, this is a book that like I read that was so helpful to me a few years ago. It's called Finding the Right Hills to Die On. It's because I think that sometimes we make things the primary thing that are not the primary thing. Right, So sometimes we make the whether you eat me or not eat meat the primary thing. And Jesus says that's not the primary thing. The primary thing is that I died and rose again and that you find eternal relationship with me through faith in who I am and all that I've done. Amen. Not whether you eat meat or don't eat meat. Not whether or not you've got a foreskin or not. They're not significant things. And to the early church, they were. And to us, we can find a whole load of things that put us into categories of Christians. Oh, I'm a, I'm a strong Christian. I'm a weak Christian. I'm, a, I'm an established Christian. I'm a new Christian. And we can sometimes start to put little burdens and yokes on each other's shoulders, which are not the thing that Christ has called us to. They're not the primary thing. The primary thing, and it's often, if you'll see, we've got like the creedal statements that are out there. The creeds. Who Christ is and all that Christ has done. The trust in in Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The trust that he died and that he rose again. The trust that he's coming back to make all things new. The trust that he loves his church. There are some things that are the primary thing. And we hold on to them and we fight for them and we believe in them. And we teach them and we speak into them. And there are some things that we feel important about. Some things that we think... We in this church, and so I'm reading through Romans the other day, and I'm thinking, what are some of the things that I don't think necessarily were primary, but Paul definitely had an opinion on? He definitely had an opinion on spiritual gifts and how they were used in our meetings. He definitely had an opinion on pacifism and whether whether war is just or not. You can just pick some of this stuff up in Romans and Corinthians. He definitely had an opinion on the future of Israel as a nation state. But was that a primary thing or was it a secondary thing? Probably secondary. He fought for some primary stuff, but some of those things were secondary. And actually, it's at that moment where you say, No, I must hold a conviction myself. It's not saying very postmodern, nice way of thinking, oh, everything's just grey. I don't really have opinions on anything, you know, just kind of hold loose. I don't want to have really conviction to anything. Paul doesn't say that, does he? When we read that a minute ago, Paul says, actually, we must each have convictions in our own heart. We must each be convinced in what we believe and what we hold. But actually, when we bump up against a fellow Christian who's standing there, and they don't hold that same conviction in some of those secondary things. It says, bear one another in faith. Bear with one another in love. John Stott says it like this. So he says, you've got a John Stott quote. Love limits its own liberty out of respect it has for others. Oh, that's a a punchy quote. Love limits its own liberty out of the respect it has for others. There will be times when you'll come here and you'll be in Christian community with each other and you'll think, oh, that's wound me up. Didn't enjoy that. I didn't like it. And then you've got to come to God and say, actually, did it wind me up and I can find peace? And I might need to, and I might need to come and bring challenge to my brother or sister. I might need to speak to them in love. Is it a primary thing? Is it a secondary thing? Or actually, do I need to limit my own liberty in that thing out of respect for someone else? I had a number of years ago we, I was here and we were playing some card games. And so we're just playing with a deck of cards. And I was sitting with, um, actually, Christina, it was with your husband. Sitting with your, with your husband a, f- a few years back, and uh, probably 15 years ago. And as we're sitting here, he really struggled with us playing with card games. Because we've been in Ukraine, he'd found that actually card games were often a way that people would bet, and there were gambling and addiction things that were going on. And I remember him just saying to one of us, to Chris Mason, just saying, Oh, actually, I'm really struggling with everyone playing card games because it's just bringing back to me a gambling addiction. And the thing that I think that I've found culturally in that setting. Now, we could have said, "What's well, your problem. We're playing cards. We quite like it. Just join in. You need, to, you need to assimilate to who we are now. You need to come and be part of it. Because why are you weak in faith in this area? Because we're strong in faith. It's not a gambling problem to me. But no, no, no. Out of love, it limits our own liberty. And actually, of course, what do we do? You put the cards away. Okay, we won't play cards. We'll do something else. Because out of love for one lover, you build faith. And that pleases Jesus. So he finds this place. So again, when you're here, and you might like, let me put some silly illustrations. You might think, "Oh, I wish we sung a few more hymns in church." Why do we have to sing song? Why do we have to sing those songs in church? Can't even understand some of the things that we're saying. Why are we singing that? I don't, why, why are we doing that thing? Why, is it, why, are we, why are we trying to clap in those environments? There might be all sorts of things that trigger us because we're in a big room full of lots of different people that have arrived here but out of love, in devotion to community with one another, we make the primary thing the primary thing. We place Jesus front and centre, and we come and we worship, and we adore him in all that we do. Just coming into lands. Let me just give you an example of the way that Jesus does this. So there's a little story in Matthew 21. So you just put up the picture, of the keys to the kingdom. I won't read the whole story, but This is the way that Jesus sets the example. And it's why we always want to come to the place of just worship and adoration of Jesus. Because he sets the example and he never asks us to do something that he doesn't do himself. Matthew 21 is a story, basically, of a guy who owns a vineyard. And he invites tenants to come and look after his vineyards. And if you know this story, do you know what the tenants do? They basically take it for themselves. So they take the vineyards. And when the master sends back servants to try and say, hey, where's my rent for the vineyard that I've given you as a tenant? They refuse to give rent and they kick them and beat them up and send them home to their master. They say, what's wrong with you? Why are you here talking to us? It's our vineyard now, not yours. Until one day, the master sends the son to the vineyards, and they think, I'll kill the son. So they murder him and they take the vineyard for themselves. Now the little parable that exists there is Jesus basically trying to say all of heaven and earth was mine and I trusted it to you humanity. I gave you, I gave you the earth. I gave you the earth to look after and to be tenants in my garden and you gave the keys away. You gave it to the devil. You gave it to the enemy. You gave it to Satan. You handed over what I gave you to look after and you gave it away. And when I sent prophets and when I sent people of God to come and speak to you and remind you and call you back to truth in relationship with me, you beat them up. And then I sent you my son to say, Well, this is my master, this is my father's vineyards." You killed him as well. And you might think, So therefore, what would Jesus do with the keys now? What would Jesus do with the keys? He's got them back, he rose from the grave. Says he's taken the keys of sin and death and now back in his hands. And what does Jesus do with them? He says, come on, I'll share them with you again. You're welcome back in the house. That is an amazing truth of humanity. Jesus trusts us again and welcomes humanity back into the house with him. He bears with our weaknesses. He bears with our flaws and our failures. He bears with us and he welcomes us back into relationship with him in the home. As his people. And he says, now come on. We're going to rule again together. We're going to oversee all of creation. And I'm going to welcome you into that. And I'm going to trust you with the keys. Even though you gave them away. Even though didn't, you, didn't, you weren't trustworthy with it first time. They're yours again. If Jesus has done that with that with us, how can we not be therefore called to do that with one another? To bear with one another. To welcome one another. To love one another. To bring people, to welcome people into community. Heard it said somewhere, and we've got a wonderful, you know, blue team that are wearing their blue T-shirts, and there's this thing we talk about having a good welcome here, being friendly, but I get, I get worried sometimes that there's a balance between just being friendly, you Now British friendly people say hello to you as they're shutting the door, don't they? You know, hello, hello, nice to see you, oh, yeah, shut the door again. Yeah, no, I've done that now. And then, oh, you're outside, oh, yeah, hello, lovely, lovely. Oh, yeah, bye, 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 bye. That's friendly. These Brits are kind of friendly, but not really. There's something different from being friendly and being welcoming. Welcoming says hello and opens the door and brings people in. Doesn't leave them outside while smiling at the window. You know, and, and again, that's the community we're called to, to welcome one another deeply. Actually, I would say it's more than just being friendly, it's being kind to each other. Kindness takes effort and sacrifice and laying down our own preferences, our own convenience, our own desires in order to put others first. Christ has modelled that on our behalf. What we receive, we now freely give. And that's the great news of the gospel. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to break bread with each other. So can I just invite the band up? We're going to sing and we're going to worship. But can I just put this slide up here? Because what I'd like us to do is I just want to make one very like final clarity on this bit. Because... The statement that we've looked at for the last five weeks, who is Jesus, who am I? Well, actually, there's some things. Jesus doesn't change. Jesus, God's creator, Lord, beginner of all things, the one at the very beginning, the one who spoke all things into creation. Jesus doesn't change. But who I am does change. Who I am changes massively on where I place my faith and trust. You know, what, what, Nesting dole I, I climb into. You know, where do I place myself? Is massively, massively significant. You know, before we put faith and trust in Jesus, all of humanity is, if His create, creator, all of humanity are creatures. We all start from that point, and all of us are worshippers. I watched, you know, however many worshippers at Eurovision last night. There was a lot of them. They were just worshiping the different gods. We're all worshippers, and we're all creatures. That doesn't change. But the way that we approach them then changes everything because we're those that are either then in Christ or outside of Christ. And we get to make that choice because God's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on anyone. He, he says, I'm the creator and I'm Lord's, and I'm going to come back and make all things new. But you then get to choose who are you. You're either a follower of mine, a disciple of Jesus, and we're going to hear that with some of these testimony stories in a bit. People that are declaring, I am a disciple of God's. And there's some people who say, I'm not a disciple of Jesus. And that is okay. You can make that choice. But the choice that you make is how we approach the table. So just what I want us to invite us to is the band start to play and then we're going to sing. Love us just to stand and so go to the tables and start to collect bread and wine and come back to sit with each other. Oh, got that? Sorry. Yeah, no, do let's keep playing. Come to the tables now and start grabbing bread and wine. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in Christ Jesus, grab some bread and wine. Bring it back to our tables then I'm going to read some truths and then we're going to sing. If you're not a Christian here today, don't worry. You can just watch as we do this. This is something that Christians do. They come to the table, they receive the bread and wine that Christ has given on their behalf. If you're starting to ask yourself questions about the Christian faith, we'll talk about that in a minute. You'll so be welcome to make an opportunity and a choice today to follow Jesus But let's just let people that have already made that choice go to the table first. Just going to grab their bread and wine. Just let people back towards their seats. One thing one thing we're always good at in British churches is queuing. So well done for queuing so well. A scrape, we'll just get our bread and wine, and then just come back to our seats. We're just gonna read something together. Okay, that's wonderful. I think most people have got their bread and wine now. Let's, um, let's come back together. Okay, what I'm going to do, just as we're, um, just where the last few people come in, I just wonder, Sarah, could you just put that next part of the slide up onto the screen for me? I'm just, I, I just encourage you to read some of those truths that appear there. You know, if, if English isn't a first language, you, could, you can always scan it on Google Translate, just pick up, this going across there, I'll read through some in a second. But I just wanted, I wanted to clarify this for us because actually the who am I thing makes a massive difference Like I said, in who we place our faith and trust in. And as you'll notice, the tables aren't closed. So just because we've collected wine now, actually, if you're sitting here today and you feel a strong conviction in your own heart, even during worship, you might do it during the stories that are being shared, the testimonies. You might think, actually, I want to declare my faith in Jesus today. I want to join the people of God, I want to reconcile my relationship with God for the very first time today, if that's you, you're very welcome to come to the table at any point and to collect bread and wine and come back and pray with someone, that's a great way of entering into a relationship with God, but this is what it does to us, because Jesus is powerful and He's for us, but outside of Christ I'm trapped, I'm an enemy of God but in in Christ I get to be free and I get to be His for all eternity. Jesus is resurrected and Jesus is holy. Outside of Christ, I'm still dead in my sins. But then in Christ, I get to be alive in him and I get to be considered holy too. Who is Jesus? Jesus is righteous and he is merciful. Outside of him, I'm lost and I'm still in conflict. Conflict with others, conflict with myself, conflict with God. But in Christ, I get to be saved and reconciled. Jesus is the giver of life. Outside of him, I'm a slave to my sin, but in him, I'm now a servant of Christ himself. I get to serve him in all that I do. Who is Jesus? He is the just judge. He's the one coming back to judge in the dead. He's been given that role. Outside of Christ, I'm still an object of wrath, but in Christ, I'm part of his redeemed people. Praise God. And finally, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is coming together, uh, coming again. And outside of Christ... I'm forever without him, but in Christ I'm forever with him. Wow, forever part of his welcomes people. Let's take bread and wine now. Let's start to sing, let's rejoice, let's receive that as a sacrament of God's grace. You paid nothing for that bread and wine, you received it as a free gift of God's because he welcomed you as his own. Let's start to sing and rejoice together.